What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to this week's Elite Fantasy Basketball Podcast. I'm Adam Stock. If you haven't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam G. Stock. We had nine games last night. That will break down. But first, I want to touch on the Reddish trade and the Dame injury news. The Reddish trade is only somewhat interesting from a fantasy standpoint. A few players become decent flyers, but I don't see any clear top 100 players coming out of this. Reddish himself is fine as a 12-team flyer but he'll probably start his Knicks career off the bench. So be prepared to be patient with him if you do pick him up. The hope here is that he eventually overtakes Fournier and starts getting the Thibs treatment, starts getting 34, 36 minutes a night, maybe down the stretch. It's a long shot, but that's his path to usefulness. If he's coming off the bench or is starting but playing something like 28 minutes, it's not going to be enough to make him a 12-team guy, maybe a 14-16 teamer, but that's it. Cam is just not a good permanent player. He's not someone who can survive in a medium-sized role. There is some decent upside in points, three steals, and free throw percentage, but he's not going to be clearly above average in any of those four categories. Even in a big role, he's just likely to be a back-end guy in 12-teamers. In punt field goal percentage, he can be maybe a little more than that, maybe a top 120 guy since he gains a lot of value there. But he's not someone for teams that are worried about their field goal percentage. Started off really hot this year, but he's back to shooting around 40% from the field. Reddish joining the Knicks will probably turn Fournier into just a deep league guy. He's been a borderline player for a while, but with Cam in town, I bet his minutes drop back into the 20s, maybe the mid-20s, where he'll just be low end and for deep leagues. Maybe give him a game or two, but if you need a streaming spot, he's fine to drop right now. Cam might take a little usage from RJ, but I don't think the impact will be too serious. That's only relevant in points leagues and category leagues. RJ is useless. He could hurt Alex Burks as well, but Kemba and Rose are still the main threats there. As long as Burks is playing point guard, the minute should be there. On the Hawks side, this clears things up, at least in the short term. That pick that they got from Cam is probably going to end up being part of a bigger deal down the road. I'm guessing that there's a lot of teams out there that would rather have a mid-first-round pick than Reddish, who's going to be looking for an extension soon. With Reddish out of the picture, Hunter, Bogdanovich, and Herter are all decent bets for 30 minutes a night. All three are definitely viable in standard leagues, but I'm not sure any of them are going to be top 100 guys, so be careful who you drop for them. They're more like 12th men than anything else. Bog- Bogdanovich probably has the most upside of the bunch. He struggled this year with his shot and his steal rate has really dropped. But as we saw last year, he can turn it around in a hurry. Got off to a bad start last year as well. And then almost overnight, he turned into a top 50 player. He's definitely the upside play, although he could easily just end up as a top 150 guy. Has definitely not looked that good this year. Hunter looked really good to start last season before getting hurt. Hasn't been the same guy since. Last year's mid-round run was driven by some unsustainable shooting from two that probably isn't coming back. He has top 100 potential, but the path is very narrow because he's not a big defensive stats guy and he's not going to give you more than average threes. He has to be shooting in the high 40s from the field to be useful, and that feels like a stretch. Probably mid-40s, maybe slightly below 45 is a more reasonable expectation. Herder has had plenty of top 100-ish stretches in his career, but this year he's been pretty useless because the steal rate is cratered. He's averaging only 0.5 steals per game in almost 29 minutes. That's a real ugly number. He's usually pretty solid in the category, so I bet we get some positive regression there. But he's going to have to at least double his steal rate to be more than a top 150 guy. So again, none of these guys are must-adds outside of leagues with 14 teams or more. View them more as flyers and 12-teamers. In terms of how I would rank them, I put Bogdanovich first for the upside. I'm a guy who likes chasing the upside, especially relatively early in the year. He's the one guy that can really change the outlook of your team if he does turn it on. I put Hunter second since we have seen a mid-round stretch from him before. And then Herter last. 
The Dame injury is a much more interesting fantasy storyline. This is huge for Simons, obviously. He should probably play about 33 to 34 minutes a game until Lillard is back. Going off his permanent numbers and assuming a bit of a usage rate bump, he'll probably average around 18 points, 4.5 dimes, and close to three threes. The rest of his line isn't going to be great, so he'll likely end up as more of a borderline top 100 guy. He can be a little more than that in friendly builds. Could end up having... More upside than that late, but once CJ is back, that's probably the range he's going to be in. In friendly builds, like punt field goal percentage and punt steals, he can maybe be like a top 80 guy. Simon's steal rate is really poor. That's what is going to hold him back. He's producing only 0.6 steals per 36 this year, which is beyond horrendous for a guard. That's even bad for a big. There's a ton of hype around him right now, so I like the idea of shopping him. I don't think it's a must-sell or anything because I think it'll be pretty good, but I think you might be able to get like a top 70, top 65 guy for him, maybe even a little higher than that. I know a lot of people are looking at Simon's recent run and thinking he's a league winner, which could be if more things end up working in his favor. However, right now, as long as McCollum's around, it's not going to be that level of a guy. Simon has been killing it, but when McCollum and Norm are back, that's about 35 to 37 shots rejoining the rotation, and that's really going to take some of the shine off of Simon's. And I say this all as someone who grabs Simons in pretty much all, all of my leagues. Like, I want him to do really well. I just don't think it's completely smooth sailing quite yet. Could end up being that way, but not quite yet. Speaking of CJ, this is going to be a really, really fun stretch for his managers. McCollum's numbers without Lillard are nasty as hell. There's early round upside here. We've all seen those early round stretches the last couple of years, and we could be about to see another one. His assist rate doesn't change that much without Dame, but his shot attempts go through the roof. McCollum has been taking 17.1 shots per 36 and 7.5 threes per 36 with Dame on the court. Without Dame on the court, he's taking 22.4 shots per 36 and 9.5 threes per 36. That is a 31% increase in shot attempts when Dame is off of the floor. That is exciting stuff. We could be looking at a huge bump. McCollum's actually healthy right now. He's just out because his wife just gave birth. Billups has said we should expect McCollum back very soon. Dame being out should also help Little, Covington, and Norm Powell a little bit. Norm will probably play more minutes at the two, which will open up some additional minutes for Little and Covington in the forward spots. And then Norma's good bet to see a usage bump as he'll slide in as the second option, maybe have a similar amount of shot attempts to Simons, but he should get some extra usage. Okay, now let's talk about Dame. This is a tricky situation. He's been given a six to eight week timeline. Six weeks from now means February 22nd. Eight weeks means March 10th. Either way, if that timeline holds, he's going to be available for most, if not all, the fantasy playoffs in a lot of leagues. However, before both dates, we have the trade deadline. And what the Blazers do at the deadline is probably going to be linked to what they do with Lillard after. If we get a full garage sale and we're dumping guys for CJ for long-term young pieces, then we might see the Blazers play it safe and maybe Lillard's return gets pushed back or we get a shutdown. However, if there's no major shakeup, he'll probably be back. I know some people are worried that the Blazers are going to be completely out of it by the time Dame is able to come back, but that's not going to be the case. If you own Lillard, send a big thank you to Adam Silver because the play-in could save your fantasy season. If the season ended today, the Blazers would actually be in the playing game. They're the 10th seed in the West right now. And given who the Blazers are competing with for that final spot, I have a real hard time seeing how they fall out of contention for it. Their competition is the Spurs, Kings, and the Pelicans. Do we really think that a team of CJ, Simons, Norm Powell, Covington, and Nurk can't hang with those teams? Like, do we think they're going to be six games back of the Kings um, at the beginning of March? Probably not. 
A CJ plus pieces for Ben Simmons trade would also likely be a good sign for Lillard managers. The Blazers would definitely want to see how Simmons and Lillard work together and maybe make a bit of a playoff push. I'm not against rolling the dice on Lillard as a buy low if you have an open IL spot, but just be careful. Maybe just a top 100-ish guy. Don't be giving up anyone who would kill your squad if they were to suffer a season-ending injury tomorrow because there's a chance that Lillard is done and you're trading that player for nothing. He's also only a guy I would consider trading for if if I was in a strong position in the standings, those out of the playoffs should focus on win now moves and not risk losing games played in future weeks because Lillard is taking up an IL spot. And with that, we'll move on to the games. If you have any more questions regarding the Reddish trade or the Dame injury, shoot me a message. As always, today we'll be focusing more on borderline players and players that are either playing above their head or struggling right now. Since we already talked about the Hawks, we'll start with their game against the Heat. I'll just go over the Heat side quickly. Hero led the way with a near triple-double. He had 21, 11, and 9. Been really good in real life, but in fantasy, hasn't been that great. I would try to sell high after this game. No Jimmy and no Bam last night, and Hero was producing just back-end numbers before he went on a heater over the last couple weeks. You can almost certainly get a top 100 player for him, maybe even a top 80 guy. The real-life hype is very real. Hero probably won't get the either mark in nine category leagues because of all the holes in his line. He's only been a top 110 guy this year, despite Jimmy missing a million games. Caleb Martin had another really nice game, picked up a double-double, had 18 points and 10 boards. Didn't do much else, but until Jimmy's back, he can give you efficient points. He shoots over 50% from the field, which is not something that he's easily found on the wire. Most points guys are drags on field goal percentage. Can also give you average threes, five or six boards, and a steal. Overall, that's, it usually ends up being a pretty nice line. Yurt 7 started, played almost 29 minutes, and had 13 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists. Should be good for a couple more games, maybe a few more games, but Bam does seem close, which will end his run in 12-team leagues and probably deep leagues as well. Although in deeper settings, I would give him a couple games just in case before dropping. However, I'm not that hopeful since the Heat probably won't play him besides Bam, which makes it tough for the rookies' minutes to get out of the teens. P.J. Tucker at 10-7 with 2 steals and 2 threes. He's been a surprisingly useful guy lately. Been a really poor minute a per-minute player the last few years, but this year he's kind of turned it up a little bit. Uh, like the other role players, his usefulness ends when Jimmy and Bam are back, but until then he's worth streaming. Strews played 15 after only playing 21 the night before. He's had some nice stretches this year, but until we see the minutes ramp back up, he's a drop. Duncan Robinson played 31 off the bench and had 14 points with three threes. Fine to have in 14 and 16 team leagues, but I think you can do better in 12 teamers. It's not more valuable than a streaming spot right now, especially with all the injuries and COVID sits still happening. Our second game is the Nets versus the Bulls. This game was done early, so the starters on both sides played a little less than usual. Kyrie only played 25, and he's real quiet. It's fine to have an IL plus leagues, but I would be trying to trade him in leagues that play with normal IL spots or don't have IL spots. The Nets have a big stretch of away games coming up, which should give you a nice trade window. After that, closer to the fantasy playoffs, it's a lot more home games, and he's going to hurt you a lot more than he helps you down the stretch. One of the New York uh, writers put out a dumb article talking about how the, the Nets are able to pay a fine to get Kyrie to play home games. That has been an option since August, so I don't see why that would change their view now. To me, that article is just clickbait that I would ignore. They don't really need to play him that badly, and it'd be a PR nightmare, so I don't really see them changing their mind. Unless Kyrie changes his mind, he's going to be sitting out home games. Daron Sharp surprised with 20-7 in only 21 minutes. Real nice game from the rookie. Sharp has no long ups 
long-term upside since the role won't be there when Aldridge and Claxton are healthy. But until either are back, he's a very nice streamer. We're not dealing with a huge sample size, but his permanent numbers and points, rebounds, and blocks are nasty right now. They're a lead. It's only a handful of games, and they're going to they're gonna drop, but he's been excellent so far. Kessler Edwards started it and had three steals and a block. If he keeps starting, could be a nice 16-team league guy who could help on the defensive end, but for now, I'd hold off. Edwards wasn't playing much before last night. Not much to talk about on the Bulls side. They're a pretty boring team for fantasy purposes, but boring is okay, especially when your top guys are really good. Really, the only big news is that Derek Jones went down and is out for a while. That should help Kobe White in the short term and then eventually Alex Caruso when he's back. The Bulls don't really have a quality four in the rotation now, so we get more lineups where DeMar slides over to the four. There's really no pickup here. White is fine for now, but he's probably going to be more of a deep league guy when Caruso is back. If Caruso is on your wire, pick him up immediately. He's probably going to be back within a week, and he's been a top 65 per game guy in nine category leagues. Yes, it's mostly steals, but he's still a clear standard league guy, clear 10-team guy. It's not a borderline guy even in eight-team leagues. He needs to be rostered in all category leagues, and he's decent in points leagues as well. The Celtics took the Pacers down by 19. The Celtics got 33 and 34 from the Jays. Schroeder also had a nice game with 23 points in 34 minutes. He started because Marcus Smart was out with a thigh contusion. It's not a long-term injury, so I won't get too excited about Schroeder. He's someone to sell high on immediately. His his year-long numbers look okay, but they're misleading. He's been great as a starter and terrible as a backup on nights when he's coming off the bench, he's only played 26.6 minutes per game. So on nights when he's reserved, which is going to be any night when the starting lineup is healthy, it's going to be more of a 16-teamer. If you can get a top 100 guy for him, even a top 120 guy who is a safe standard league guy, I'd do that. Jay Rich played 29 and didn't do anything. He's also more of a 16-teamer to me. He's like a poor man's KCP who's just a low-end 12-teamer himself. The last Celtic we'll talk about before moving on is Horford. He's had a real rough month driven by some garbage shooting over the last 30 days. He shot 36.8% from the field. I'm buying low with confidence for two reasons. The first is that he hasn't lost any minutes. He's been playing 29 minutes this year. He's been 20, been playing 29 minutes when he can't hit anything. His role's not changed at all. The second is the rest of his line. If you look at the rest of his line over the last month, nothing else is slipping. He really just can't shoot now. If he starts shooting even 43% again, like he was earlier in the year, then his line will start looking top 50-ish again. Try it again for a top 100 player. I'm pretty confident, assuming that he stays in one piece, that that will end up as a big win. On the Pacers side, Levert and Brogdon were back, which ended Lance Stevenson, Sykes, and Washington's run of big minute games. However, Brogdon did, did re-injure his Achilles, which opens up some more minutes. Uh, that, those minutes will likely go to Duarte instead of those other three, though, once he's back, which it looks like Next game, Stevenson, Sykes, and Washington are all fine to drop even in deeper leagues, although I keep an eye on Lance. The Brogdon injury is really worrisome to me since it's pretty clear that the nine games off didn't do the trick. We could be looking at another extended absence. That is unfortunately how the Brogdon experience usually plays out. It starts with the first round, first month of the season. Then he starts to decline a little bit. Then he starts to decline even more sharply, starts posting some top 80-ish numbers. Then we get a bunch of injuries that end up costing him 20 games or so. It's it's like clockwork. That's how the last two seasons have played out, and that's how this year has gone so far. With the Pacers going nowhere, I'd be very hesitant to buy low, even though he could turn into a top 40 per game guy. He definitely has that upside. With Brogdon likely out again, I'm fine with taking a flyer on Duarte. It's been just a low-end option so far, but he's doing something useful most nights, and will probably have a nice roll down the stretch. I would call the rookie a must in 14-team leagues. 
The Knicks beat the Mavs by 23. We've already talked about the Knicks, but I do want to touch on a couple of guys. RJ Barrett had 32 last night. To me, he's a sell high. He's been a top 70 player over the last week, but is only producing top 250 numbers on the year. Just not made for category leagues and hurts you a lot more than he helps you. He's only useful on nights when he's going supernova. It's not enough for him to score like 18. He's only really useful when he's scoring like 25 plus. He just has so many holes in his line that it's impossible for him to even be low end outside of friendly builds in 12 teamers. Even in deep leagues, he's always just going to be a low end guy due to all the holes. Randall had 17 points, 12 rebounds, and 8 assists. That sounds great until you look at their horrendous efficiency, the 5 turnovers, and the 0 defensive contributions. I'm fine with buying low, but I would be very careful here. Last year looks like a fluke, and he's shown 0 signs. He's about to turn it around. Randall's only been a borderline top 150 guy over the last 2 months in 9 category leagues, and I'd be hesitant to give up more than a top 90 guy for him. Really the only build where I'd feel comfortable trading for him in his punt field goal percentage, his floor is reasonably high there since a lot of his recent poor ranking is due to him shooting 40% or below from the floor in a lot of games. Still no KP on the Mavs side, so Kleba got another start. He played 36. Only had 9 points and 5 rebounds, but he did have 3 triples. Kleba is more of a deeply guy when KP is healthy, but until then he's a very nice stream for 3s, boards, and blocks. It's averaged a real nice 2.73s per game, 6.7 rebounds per game, and 1.2 blocks per game over the last 2 weeks. Any team could use that. Dorian Finney-Smith's steal rate has dried up the last couple of weeks, which has made him more of a back-end option lately. But he's still not a drop to me. Honestly, he's not really that close to a drop to me in 12-teamers. Been too good this year to send back in after one cold streak. His role hasn't changed, so once those steals do come back, should go back to being more of a borderline top 100 guy. Could be a little more than that in friendly builds. Tim Hardaway had 13 points off the bench with a three and a steal. Not much else. Been a borderline top 150 guy this year, which makes him viable in 12-teamers, but I wouldn't view him as a must. With all the COVID sits, I'd much rather stream his spot. He's points, threes, and nothing else, which is an easy line to find on the wire. I'm more willing to give a little leash to guys who do something unique, like maybe they're great boards guys or maybe they're great steals and blocks guys than the guys who give you like low-end points and threes just because it's so replaceable. There's really no penalty to dropping them. Like maybe you drop Hardaway and then you figure out that you need points and threes later. Like, okay, that's fine. Go grab like one of the million dudes who do the exact same thing that he does. You can't always find that replacement when it's like a steals guy you're dropping, but with the low-end points and threes guys, that other option is always there. The Hornets got a real nice win over the Sixers. Hayward, Rozier, and Bridges all had big games. All three guys are probably going to be top 50-ish per game guys, but I would value them slightly higher than that, more more like top 40-ish guys since they're on a borderline playoff team who will be playing them big minutes until the last day of the season. Hayward has been in that range all year. He's been a top 50-ish per game guy. Rozier started slow but has settled into that range. He's actually flirting with the top 40 right now. Been on a bitter of heater these days, but once the shooting cools off a little bit, probably lose a round of value, probably be more of a top 50 guy who can be a third round guy in punt field goal percentage. Bridges was good last night, but he slowed down a little bit. His steal rate has really slowed down and he struggled from the line lately. I doubt the steal rate bounces back as he's had a bad steal rate dating all the way back to his MSU days, but the free throw percentage could improve, could get back to 80s in the mid-70s right now. If it does, he could go back to being a top 35 guy, but I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. Free throw percentage has a lot of year-to-year volatility, so we get wild swings in both directions. Guys don't always regress positively or negatively in either direction like you think they will. It's a bit of a tricky category to project. Lamelo had another bad game, but at least he hit all his free throws. He's had six rough games in a row, which has likely opened up a bit of a buy-low window. It's going to be tough to get him 
But I'd be offering a third-round guy who's hot right now and maybe a low-end piece, maybe a top 25 guy. Even that's probably a stretch. I'd value LaMelo as a top 15-ish guy, even though he's been more of a top 25 per-game player over the last two months, which is might be where he settles in because I think that free-throw percentage is going to regress a little bit. There's a lot of injury-prone older guys in the top 25, so a safe option from a games-played standpoint like LaMelo should hold extra value. The starters all played heavy minutes, so Cody Martin only played 24. Despite the low-minute night, he's still worth having for the time being. Once Ubre's back, however, he'll turn into just a deep league guy. P.J. Washington only played 19 minutes, but he's a hold in all leagues. He only needs 25 minutes to be useful, and most nights he's been getting that. Maxi came back for the Sixers and played 38 minutes. It's not a lock that Simmons is traded, but it still feels more than likely that he's going to be, be moved. So I would always be entertaining offers for Maxi, even if you're not taking them. But keep make make sure that your league knows that he's available. I wouldn't be selling low, but I'd be listening for sure. Any Simmons trade will likely take a pretty big bite out of Maxi's value. The current setup is just perfect for him, so even like a small tweak will probably hurt him. Seth Curry also returned and played 34. He's a must in all leagues. He's been ranked inside of the top 75 all year in 9-cat. With Max and Curry back, Thibault played only 15, and Danny Green played only 9. Both can go in standard leagues, although both need to be watched closely all year long as any time they're playing 25-plus, which seems to happen every couple weeks. They can be pretty useful. I'd hold Thibault for now in deeper settings, especially in punt points where because he brings a very unique line and his upside's pretty nice in punt points. Drummond played almost 20 minutes, but he had a really rough night, just had an off night. He's not a 100% must-hold if you're struggling, but in most scenarios, I would try to hold. He's been playing pretty well lately. He's been a pretty easy stash lately, and that late-season upside is just so significant with the Sixers having a great playoff schedule, and with Embiid probably still having at least one major absence left in him. The Kings took advantage of the Lakers small ball lineup that isn't really working on the defensive end right now and got a nice dub against LA. All five of their starters had real big lines. Barnes had 23 points and seven rebounds, which was awesome to see as he hasn't really been a 12-team guy for a while. I'd be more excited though if this big line came against a more stout defense. The Lakers are a pretty nice matchup for fantasy purposes right now, but it is good to see. I'm not buying low on Barnes at the moment. I don't trust him given his history. Last year's big run could easily have been a fluke. There were quite a few performances last year that are looking like flukes. I'm looking at you, Randall. I'm not dropping Barnes in 12-team leagues yet, but I'm not buying either. Bagley got in on the fun with 16 points and 9 rebounds. Also added a 3 and a steal. That's more than he usually does. And even in deep category leagues, he's just a rebound streamer. In deep points leagues, he can be useful but he's just not made for category leagues meadow got the start and posted a monster line in only 22 minutes he had 14 points two threes seven boards four dimes two steals and two blocks on awesome shooting the minutes haven't really been there lately despite the nice production but i am adding meadow in in deep leagues and watching him real closely in standard leagues he has a profile of a potential difference maker late in the season he's a very strong per minute producer and would have a shot at the middle rounds if you were to start playing 30 minutes per game late in the year with the Kings going nowhere. It's possible he gets that. Medu has only needed 22.7 minutes per game to be a top 150 player this year, which shows you his upside. His game is just very fantasy friendly. 
LeBron had some flashy counting stats, but this was probably his worst game in a while. He needed 29 shots to score 34 points and took the night off on defense. Although in his defense, so did all of his teammates. The small ball lineup isn't going to work against good teams, and we'll see it a lot less once AD is back. It's going to lead to LBJ's numbers slipping a little bit. Still, I wouldn't really call him a sell high since he's not going to slip that much. I bet the free throw percentage comes down a little bit and likely a steal rate as well, but he should still be a top 10 guy, and it's not like someone's going to give you jokage for him. There's not many guys that would count as sell highs. Monk was the best of the role players with 22 points, 6 threes, 7 boards, 3 dimes, and 2 blocks. I doubt he's more than a low-end guy with AD back. AD's a high-usage guy, and Monk is pretty dependent on usage for value, so I'd be looking to sell there. I also don't trust the blocks to hold. His block rate over the last month has been ridiculous, and before the big recent run, he's always been a zero in the category during his career, so I am very skeptical that it will hold. Reeves was the only other Laker who played decently. He had 19 points with four threes. The rookie's been a nice surprise. He looks like a good player, but he's not really a fantasy option. He doesn't contribute in many categories, and the minutes aren't high enough for him to be useful even in deep leagues. Westbrook had another horrendous night. I'm not buying low. Maybe in points leagues, but not in category leagues. Come on now. I know he's turned it on over the second half of the season the last two years, but I can't see that happening as long as LeBron is healthy. This is a different situation than it was in Washington and uh, Houston. There's just too much overlap between LeBron's game and Russ's game for Russ to really get going. I'd be trying to trade him for anything reliable after every big game that he has. The Rockets edged out the Spurs behind an unbelievable performance by Eric Gordon. He had 31 points on 10 shots. That is bloody insane. That is Dirk against the Thunder in the playoffs level efficiency. Gordon went 9 for 10 from the field, hit 6 threes, and knocked down 7 freebies. Didn't do much else, but who cares when you're that hot? Despite the big night, he's just a 14-teamer and a high-end points and 3-streamer in 12-team leagues. KPJ had a decent night, at least for, by KPJ standards, with 18 points, 3 threes, and 4 rebounds. The rest of the line was weak, but we'll take it. To me, he's just a points league specialist. I want nothing to do with him in category leagues, even in punt field goal percentage. He's just a back-end guy who's going to drive you insane because of the turnovers and the free-throw shooting. Jalen Green struggled and had 14 points on 14 shots with 8 rebounds and absolutely nothing else. Just a stash and he's not for teams struggling. There's some decent late season upside in points and threes, but the rest of his line has shown no signs of life. So I'm not sure that there's a lot of upside here in terms of overall value. The rookie isn't even ranked inside of the top 250 right now. Even in punt field goal percentage, he's not a must. There's a decent chance that, yeah, he turns it up, but then he still just ends up being a points and three streamer. Jayshon Tate had a very nice roto-friendly line with 13 points on 6 or 6 shooting, 6 boards, 7 assists, 1 steal, and 3 blocks in 29 minutes. That's a nasty line, and I like him a lot as a player, but he's still just a back-end 12-teamer who could end up being pretty useful late if the Rockets shut down some guys. Silas hasn't been playing a big minutes and in a mid-20s role, which is where he's been lately. A lot of nights he's been 25-26. It's hard for Tate to be more than a top 150 player. If he was playing 33 minutes per game, then yeah, sign me up. He's definitely usable right now, but I wouldn't call him a must-have either. The Spurs got Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell back, but neither played their usual minutes. Both players are just back-end 12-team options for now. I'd much rather have Vassell, though, because at least he has some upside. He'd be a clear top 100 player in 28 minutes, but who knows if he ever gets that. He's a very nice stash for teams rolling, but for teams struggling, uh, I understand dropping him or passing on him if he's on the wire and looking for a win-now piece. Keldon works in points leagues, but he just has no chance of cracking the top 100 in category leagues because he doesn't produce clearly above average numbers in any category. Comes with a nice free throw percentage hit and has a whole bunch of other holes in his line. More of a 14-teamer to me, maybe a 13th man in punt free throw percentage. Primo, Walker, and Bates-Jop all play decent minutes, but none of the three have 
our fantasy options now that the Spurs are getting some guys back. Derek White should be back pretty soon as well. Pirtle had a huge game with 13 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, and 2 blocks on almost perfect shooting. He is someone that every punt free throw percentage team needs to be trying to trade for. He can be a third round guy in that build. And he'll likely come pretty cheap because his free throw percentage is so bad that you can't really just eat it. Like some guys struggle from the line, but if you have other strong free throw shooters, you can offset it. It's really hard to offset Pirtle's free throw percentage hit right now. So his manager might be willing to give him up at a discount. The Cavs versus the Jazz is our second last game of the day. Still no Rudy Gobert on the Jazz side, which has turned Utah into easy pickings for good teams like the Cavs. The Cavs took this one by 20, but their starters still played their normal minutes. Mobley, Garland, and Allen all played well. You know what you're getting from those three at this point. Laurie at 20 and 6 with four threes. There will be some ups and downs with Laurie, but in leagues that play to the first week of April, he's a must-hold almost regardless of what happens. In that setup, the Cavaliers have a five-game schedule in the finals, which is going to make Laurie a top 50 player during the most important week of your season. Stevens got another start and had 23 points on 10 for 15 shooting, seven boards, and two steals. Stevens is playing really well right now. He's been a real nice surprise for the Cavs, but it's hard to view him as more than a short-term streamer. Okoro sounds close, and he got some extra run last night because Rondo was out. Osman is the other cap we'll talk about before moving on. He played 31 minutes, had a three and two steals, but he struggled otherwise. Osman is fine for deep leagues, but in 12-team leagues, just a points and threes streamer. I think you can do better for long in terms of long-term holds. Not a bad pickup tonight, though, as on Friday, the Cavs start a stretch of three games and four nights. No Whiteside or Gobert on the Jazz side last night, so the Jazz went super small with Royce O'Neal at the 5. Spoiler alert, it didn't work. O'Neal did have a very nice punt points line, though, with 6 points, 2 threes, 9 boards, 3 assists, 2 steals, and 1 block. He's heating up again after a brutal lull earlier in the month, and he's fine to add in 12 team leagues again. O'Neal has put up... Four early round lines in a row and is back inside of the top 90 on the year. Hard guy to trust because his track record isn't great. But for now, at least in punt points, he's a must. And I would be strongly considering him in other builds. Joe Ingles started, but he did nothing in 13 minutes before getting tossed. He works as a threes and assist streamer, but that's all he is these days. Father Time is catching up to him, and he's not even ranked inside of the top 225 this year. Jordan Clarkson had 22 points with four threes and a steal. Fine as a 13th man in 12 team leagues but that's all he is even in punt field goal percentage if you're struggling maybe you have three or four guys out he's not a must hold if you need to open up a streaming spot probably be a drop once the playoffs roll around although that is dependent on when your playoffs start because in some setups the jazz have a really nice schedule his points and threes haven't been good enough this year for him to crack the top 150 pascal had 18 and 7 on great shooting he's only an injury fill-in and with the jazz off until sunday i'm not adding anywhere by the time the jazz start playing again they're likely gonna have some of their regulars back and will probably go back to being just a bit player our final game of the day is the whiz versus the magic the whiz took the this by six, even though Beal was out. We got our first taste of what life is like with Thomas Bryant in the Wizards rotation, and it wasn't pretty. Bryant played 11 and a half minutes, Gafford played 16, and Harrell played just under 21. That is a devastating split for fantasy purposes if it holds, which it might not. It's too early to say. Don't be dropping Gafford or Harrell right now. Nothing is set in stone. Gafford only needs about 21 minutes to be a top 100 player, so there's still plenty of hope when it comes to him. Harrell, I worry about more as he's not quite the permanent producer Gafford is. He could end up as just being a deep league option, 
Brian is not an ad anywhere unless we start seeing him playing the most of the three centers, which feels very unlikely. Kispert got another start, didn't do much as usual. He's just a low-end points and three streamer. Can likely find someone who produces a better version of his line on your wire. KCP had a nice night with 12 points, three threes, 10 boards, four assists, and a steal. The boards are a fluke, but he's doing enough in threes and steals to be worth having at the moment. KCP is currently posting top 120 numbers. He's averaging 2.2 threes per game and 1.2 steals per game. Those are useful numbers. Dinwiddie had 17 points and four assists with two steals. He is a major sell high. He's hot right now because Beal's out. When Beal's healthy, he's just a borderline top 150 guy who's just a 13th man in friendly builds. He's just not built for category leagues. We've talked about a few guys like that, RJ Barrett as well. But Dinwiddie is the same way. I'd aim for the top 109 cat and go from there. Someone may overpay due to his dimes and his upside in points. No Bamba or Carter on the Magic side, so Rollo got the start and had 16 points and 11 rebounds. He's a great stream when both centers are out, but it doesn't sound like either will be out for very long, so I just ignore him for now. Wagner had 14 points with 10 assists. Slowed down as expected with Cole Anthony back, but he should be still be a top 100 guy going forward. Maybe gets back to being a mid-round guy down the stretch when Orlando starts shutting some guys down. Gary Harris had 14 points on 15 shots and put up a very empty line. He's a drop in 12 teamers. It was a good run, but it's over. Should be, eventually be a drop in deep leagues as well. T. Ross did his usual thing off the bench. He had 17 points, three triples, four boards, three dimes, and two blocks. He is a must in all leagues until the inevitable trade. He's averaged 20.9 points per game, 1.9 threes per game, 5.0 rebounds per game, and 3.0 assists per game over the last month, which has been good enough to get him inside of the top 50 over that stretch. He's also been an elite, a super elite, really, contributor in free throw percentage, which is not a category that is easily found on the wire. Chuma started and posted a low-end line. He's someone who could be a difference maker down the stretch if the Magic shut down some guys. But for now, he's just an elite steel streamer who can help in boards. Not really a long-term hold outside of 16 team lays. Could be useful down the stretch, maybe in March, but March is still two months away. The minutes just haven't been there when both Carter and Bamba have been active. And that's it for today, folks. Thanks for listening, and I hope it was helpful. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you listen to it, and feel free to shoot me some questions if you got them. I'll try to get back to you on Slack or on Twitter. Good luck with your matchups this week, and I'll see you same place, same time next week.